Matthew, I'm sorry, John 15 and 16, if you would turn there, is beginning to part, depart from his disciples. And he has guarded them and protected them. And he has been taking all the attention and all the persecution upon himself. And he knows this soon will end because its persecution will terminate in his own death on the cross. And so to prepare them for this, he begins to speak to them, understanding what the church is, and saying, now here is the problem. I'm going to leave. And I'd have to say, I'd imagine, if the Spirit of God is in you, that you have not had even a week go by in which at some point in your soul you have said, oh Lord, I wish you were here. I wish you would come. Particularly if you're in trials, you think, when is this over? Because there's so much more. If you feel the motion of the Holy Spirit on your heart, and you can sense the beginning of the new age breaking in, and you know the joy and the felicity of just being in the presence of God, and then for that to only last for so long, you wonder, when can we go to back to that? When can we have more of that? Well, Jesus is aware that his departure is going to have that kind of effect for his disciples. And so he begins to explain what the church is, particularly with the Word and the Spirit. And so here you'll find in John 15, he speaks about this world that he's leaving them alone in, but not alone. In verse 18, this is the Word of God, the Word of the Lord Jesus Christ to you, this morning, and it is just as powerful and active as when it was first spoken. If the world hates you, Jesus says, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were in the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not in the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you? A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. The words of the church and the words of Jesus are very close. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. And if I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my father. But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled, that they hated me without a cause. But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, his name is the Spirit of Truth, who proceeds from the Father. He will bear witness about me, and you also will bear witness, because you have been with me from the beginning. I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogue. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I have said these things to you, that when 
their hour comes, you may remember what I told you. I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. But now I am going to him who sent me. And none of you asks, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. And concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you, and all that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. So you see here an interaction of two very important parts of what it means to be the church of Jesus Christ. To have the Spirit and to have the Word. The last thing he says particularly is, I am going to give you the helper, the counselor, the comforter. The word is paraclete. I'm going to give you the abiding covenantal presence of God in your life. And you're sorrowful that I'm leaving, but actually this is so profound, so significant that it is to your advantage that I go. But I'm going to give you this word, and he is going, the Spirit is going to take uh, what is mine and declare it to you. That is, there is a word transfer, an information transfer. There's something to the presence of the Holy Spirit with also the spoken word of God that is unique, that is powerful to the identity of what the church of Jesus Christ is in the context of all this the world in the world a little book entitled are you my mother ever heard this children's book P.D. Eastman wrote it Uh, Dr. Seuss was involved I guess so must be good But it really is an amazing little book. It's a book about a little birdie who hatches from his egg. And as he's trying to get through, his little birdie mommy said, I better run and go get some food. And so she leaves. But while she's gone, the little birdie hatches into an empty nest. And the rest of the little book is nothing more than this bird popping out of his nest And as it is with children's books, a series of interactions with other animals. And the repetition always is nice in these books. Where the little bird says, are you my mommy? So the little birdie bumps into a cow and says, are you my mommy? It's like, no, I'm a cow. Comes into a dog. Says, are you my mommy? Of course I could not be your dog. I'm I'm your, your mommy. I'm a dog. Little cat, little hen. And the repetitions, and eventually it bumps into her mommy. They look the same, they talk the same, they walk the same. Right? So 
There's something simple and beautiful to what Jesus has just done here. We know the church is one and holy and Catholic and apostolic. We know what the church is. We know the church is our mother in the sense that it helps us be born by the Spirit because the church has the Spirit of God and the Word of God. But here Jesus is also saying, this is what the church is not. The church is not the world. And that's an important point to lay upon. There's a significant temptation in the church to want to be like the world. There's a significant temptation in the church to find worldly wisdom Pilgrim's Progress, the pilgrim Christian bumps into this man named Worldly Wisdom, and he just seems to know everything, and he always knows what to do. And then, of course, it ends terribly for him. But the church is always bumping into Mr. Worldly Wisdom, that there is this way to do things. There is this way to influence and interact in the world that is more substantial, more wise, more efficient. And Jesus here, particularly as he has his to depart from his disciples is saying the church is not the world and the world is not the church. He says particularly, if the world hates you, know this, that it first hated me before it hated you. See, it is impossible for the church and the world to commingle. It is impossible for the church and the world to be in some way in a harmonious relationship. It must be hostile. It must be. Now, that is different than being hateful. The church and the world is not a hateful relationship. Oh, but it is a hostile relationship. I feel comfortable pastorally when we are in a hostile relationship. I love that. I love preaching that way. I have to tone it down sometimes because I don't want to offend other people. I like the hostility, right? Because I like holiness. I like the Lord Jesus Christ. I like what he's doing so far, right? The reason it's, it's uniquely, uniquely impossible is because the church has been given the Word and the Spirit. And this cannot be entertained into the world. It is impossible. See, it's, it's as if a friend says, yes, I kind of like you, and we could be friends, but it's just, you know, you. <laughs> it's like, no, 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 you don't understand. It's not like, you know, this or that. It's just your genetics, just the way you look, the way you talk, the way you walk. Other than that, you're great. Right? That, that's the nature of the problem here. Like The world could say, yes, we could get along, and I like you, the church. You're a good church, and kind of stay over here, relegated to the corner of society, and we can separate the church and stay with the Jeffersonian wall so we never talk about anything significant. Um, yes, but the problem is the church is made up of the Word and Spirit down to its DNA. And the Word and the Spirit is meant to glorify Jesus Christ. And it's impossible for the world to glorify Jesus Christ. That's what the world is. That's how the world is defined in the Gospel of John. See, particularly 1 Peter 1.23 says this, You, Christians, the church, you've been born, not of perishable seed, but of the living and abiding Word of God, you see. The Word of God mixed with the Spirit is a unique, powerful concoction that generates a believer. Your very life, you've been born by the word, the seed. That word is opposed 
to the world. John 3.3, Jesus particularly says, Unless a man is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of spirit is spirit. It's impossible to be anything but opposed to the world, for we have been born from above the world. We have been born from a realm that is not this world. Acts 2, the day of Pentecost in which this spirit that Jesus is promising of was actually poured out upon the church. How did the Holy Spirit come? He came with tongues of fire. Tongue, the tool for the word, the speaking of the tongue, and fire, the powerful, holy presence of God upon them. Tongues of fire. The Word and the Spirit. This is the church. If this is not here, the church is not the church. But the problem, of course, the reason that Jesus is prepping them for hostility is because the world is absolutely opposed to this very thing. See, the Word is opposed to the world because when we see or speak of the word world, we tend to think, because we managed to make it to the moon and get a little further than that, that we think of the world as this marble in, a, in the back, black backdrop of space. Right? We, that's how we think of the world. But see, the word he's using here is cosmos. It's an old, ancient concept for what the world is, and it's more like the world system. Right? Think more like the solar system. Like a system of things. A, now, particularly the way John would use it is he's saying the world is a moral system of humans and spiritual beings that are diametrically opposed to Jesus Christ and his lordship. They are in rebellion against him. And it's very organized. That is, we are all his little minions apart from being saved by the glorious uh, name of Jesus Christ. We are under the sway and influence of Satan, and we don't even know it. We are children of Satan, children of the evil one, children of the deceiver. We are liars by nature as the devil himself in the center of this cosmos. The son of this solar system is the devil himself who is the author of lies, right? Who actually loves to destroy and kill and murder. When he speaks lies, Jesus says he speaks his native tongue. That's his language. That's the language he lives in. And so there's another institution called the church that has another language called the word of God, which is truth and light filled by the Spirit of God, which is the power of God to subject us to the Lordship of Jesus for His glory. For He'll take whatever is the Lord Jesus and magnify Jesus with that. And that's exactly opposed to the world. For the world does not want anything, anything, especially Jesus, in the center of its cosmos, its world system. That's the problem. There is a direct opposition on these two fronts most particularly. The world hates Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is uniquely demonstrated by the Word and the Spirit. And the Word and the Spirit is the very thing that makes the church the church. The very thing that makes the church the church. So the height of all this hostility is particularly found in Jesus himself. That's how John opens up his gospel. He begins and says, In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. See, Word 
for John, the way he uses it, it has to do with information. Just generally, information. Anything that is relaying something. Self-disclosure. Revelation. That's what a word is. You don't know each other's minds until you speak it. How do I know what's in your mind? I don't know. Speak your word and reveal to me your thoughts or mind. Yes, but see, now, the revelation of Jesus Christ. He is so glorious, so true, so full, a full expansive revelation of God himself that his very name is word. See, we have these things that are called the word of God. The scriptures are called the word of God. Creation itself is a type of word of God that Psalm 19 says the heavens are declaring about God, right? And even me preaching right now, I am preaching the word of God, but only one is called word. Only one whose proper actual name on his driver's license is Word. I am the Word. I am the full, complete revelation of the one true God. I am, as Colossians has said, the one who in him dwells the whole fullness of deity. And he is the Word. And John goes on to say, of course, then the Word came as he opens his gospel and pushes the antithesis to say that he was in the world and the world was made through him. Yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and they did not receive him. There it is. The very incarnation of the word, the revelation of God, came into the world, and the hostility began there and has not ceased. And to this moment, it has not stopped. And if we were to be honest with ourselves, we would simply say nothing more than embrace it and accept it. For this hostility between the word and the world is the very plan of God's salvation. Because it goes on in the gospel to say particularly that light came into the world and people love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. It is the necessary contradiction of light and darkness. There is no other way about it. So out of the way we speak of the word, there's a unique way that theologians have spoken of the word. We speak of, again, the carnate word, Jesus Christ, uniquely. This we say sometimes, right, is the Bible. We say this is the word of God, the canonical word it is, an apostolic word it is. Now what I want to press upon you this morning is this. It's sometimes what theologians call a sacramental word. By that they mean this. That there is a word that can be proclaimed that is true to the scriptures true to the apostolic teaching, true to the revelation we have in Jesus Christ, but it is something clearly, simply proclaimed by your mouth. And when it is attended by the power of the Holy Spirit, it has unique abilities to create life. It's called a sacramental word. That is to say, the word you say, trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. That word is pointing to Jesus Christ who is in the heavenlies and no one can see. But the Holy Spirit, as Jesus has said, has come down to this world. That if you speak of the Lord Jesus Christ, you are speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ in the presence of Jesus Christ today. That is, he has not left us as orphans. He has not left his church without his presence. In fact, it is so marvelous, so glorious, so powerful that he says, it is to your advantage that we do it this way. 
It is to your advantage that if you were to speak the word of Jesus Christ, sacramentally, that is, mysteriously, by the union of the presence of the Holy Spirit that has been given to us at the resurrection and glorification of His Son, that you speak the very words of God accurately in the presence of God, and that produces a regeneration, produces some type of the power of the Holy Spirit of God in the hearer in which they take the word and they take the true Christ and the Holy Spirit unites it into their heart in which they are born from above. They are born by not perishable seed but imperishable seed which is this very vividly living act of word of God with the Spirit of God quickening it at the moment to cut the heart. For we are told what? We have been given a sword which is called the Spirit which is called the Word of God. That is the sword. Spirit of God. The word of God. Producing something. Something that this world has never seen before. And so when Jesus says here, speaking to his apostles, you will do greater works than I when you have this spirit with you. Remember, everyone left Jesus And in the upper room, there were only 120 left. Out of three years of God incarnate ministry. That's not very impressive. There's something here between the word and the spirit that's been given to the church that is remarkably powerful. To go straight to the souls of men and draw them to the one true God in mass. So we have here this, this wonderful gift given to us to speak the gospel to this world. There's a story I've never really shared much. It's a private story of my own mind for many years, but it's relevant here. I think it would be an encouragement to understand that I have this concept over the years in my mind called uh, the captain's chair. Let me explain how this worked in my life, and I hope, I hope that you would find the captain's chair in your life. So I worked for many years as a medic, paramedic on an ambulance, as medics do. <laughs> and um, the way it is in the back of these ambulances is uh, the way the seats are positioned so you can use the limited space most efficiently. Uh, there's a seat behind the stretcher. It's called the captain's seat, or the captain's chair. And see, what's nice about this seat, and I think why it's called the captain's chair, is because if you were in an emergent situation with a patient, if you're sitting in that seat, you have immediate access and control to the airway, which is their very life, which is always unique to me that the Hebrew word for soul is the same Hebrew word for your throat. Your life, your soul is right here, almost. And so if you're in the captain's seat, you're the one to intubate or manage the airway, and you kind of run the rest of the protocol and the interventions. You kind of run it from that position and tell everyone else when to push the meds and do these things. So it's the captain's seat. But see, if the patient's not particularly in an emergent situation, or maybe it was a drug overdose that you revived them and you're just going to drive to the hospital and they're just relaxing, or maybe it's a medical transfer where the patient's has a lot of drips and stuff, but they're pretty much fine. They just need to relax, and we're going to go to a higher-level hospital. See, what was nice about that captain's seat is that you can get away from the patient. 
right? You can sit directly behind them. So they're facing that way, and you're behind them, and they can't see you at all. And it's nice to give them some space, especially if they want to relax. Could be back there typing away, doing, documenting paperwork. But see, that's the captain's chair. And there was this urge in my soul. Every time I sat there, when everything was done and all the questions were asked and we're just going to go for a little drive now, that I could have coasted with that. But there was this draw, I am convinced, by the Holy Spirit, a motion of the Spirit upon me, to not want to do that. See, I was consistently drawn to another seat next to the stretcher called the bench seat. And in a little narrow ambulance, it's only a few inches away from the stretcher. And it's very much, hey, I'm right here in your face. And we're doing this right now. And if we don't have anything to talk about, it's kind of a social bubble. It's a little awkward, like you're just right there next to them. Um, And the Holy Spirit would not get me out of that bench. Because it is this. I know enough to know that God has given me a word. And he has given me his spirit. There's a moment here I could speak to this person about Jesus Christ. I could sit behind them. We could sit in silence and see the world system. Talk about anything. Talk about the weather. Talk about their broken leg. Talk about their family. But don't press them upon the beauties and glories of Jesus. Don't press them upon his lordship and their need to Mortify their sin and be cleansed and be united to the one true God. See, those conversations are awkward. Right? That's heavy. Because it is spiritual. It is directly opposed to the person, to the world system, even to spiritual principalities and powers that are at play working against the gospel in the church. But the one thought, and I hope this thought would be for you as well, the one thought that always plagued me that always got me out of that captain's seat was the thought that the very captain of my salvation had left his throne in heaven and he left all comforts and joys to come down here into this world for us. And we smell and we're sinful and ungrateful, and idolatrous, and were clouded in darkness. And he could have just sat. He could have just ridded out. He could have just been comfortable. But don't you see, with the word and the spirit, where is your captain's chair? Where is the place where you can just sit and be away from the world? Where is the place where you can insulate yourself? from the great privilege that the Lord has placed upon you by having the word and the spirit that if you were to speak and if the spirit of God were to quicken your word, that person will be born from above. See, we are hostile with the world, but hostility and hatred are not the same thing. We are at odds with the world. That's a necessity but we very much can love the world 
without compromising one inch in holiness and beauty and power and Christ-like. This is the glorious thing that God has given to us. How to entertain this precious Holy Spirit that truly resides and lives inside of us. See, this point of conflict to an end here is Jesus explicitly outlining what is the nature of our conflict. He says that when he comes, the Holy Spirit, the paraclete, paraclete means um, legal advocate, particularly in this context, a legal prosecutor. See, Jesus is going to leave, and the Holy Spirit is going to come and wreak havoc on the world. That's, that's the image. He is going to push and press everyone's dirty little evil consciences and push them back into the darkest corners so that they would be so vexed and so annoyed, except this time they can't crucify the Spirit because He's the Spirit of God. Everything Jesus was doing, the Spirit comes back and continues that ministry through the church, unfortunately. And Jesus says, therefore, you're going to irritate the world. Expect persecution. What they did to me was the Spirit of God ministering through me. Now the Spirit of God is coming to you, so pick up your cross and follow me, is the word. The reality is this. He says, the Spirit of God will convict the world concerning three things. Sin, righteousness, and judgment. The word, therefore, convict, particularly means to expose or to reprove or to rebuke, to convince. And then the ESV translates it to convict. So all these realities, that the Holy Spirit is going to take what is sin, what is righteousness, and what is judgment, and just prosecute it. The paraclete will press it upon people's minds. He will convince them, convict them that this is the truth. This is the gospel. You are a liar. You are a hypocrite. You are not righteous. You are not godly. You have no life. You will die and go to hell. That's, that's his job. And why? Hostility, yes. Why? Hatred? No. Love. It's a conviction for communion. It's a conviction because it's a calling to bring the world to himself. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Yes, of course it's hostile. But it's hostile for the church though in love. That, it, that we extend ourselves as Christ did into the world. For nothing more than to even die for the world. To give up our own little lives out of persecution. So that some might come to a knowledge of the truth. And so be saved. This hostility. It's not hatred at all. So here is the reality. The Holy Spirit dwells within us. We have actually made a home with the Holy Spirit. Jesus said particularly, if anyone loves me and keeps my commandments, keeps my word, the Father will love him and I will love him and we will come and make our home in him. That's the beauty of God's residing presence in us. Now, have you ever had this experience when you have company coming over and everything in the house all of a sudden is clean? And that thing, that little project you wanted to do around the house, you just fix. You're like, oh, company is coming over. That's good. And when you have company coming over, what do you do? You say, would you like anything to drink? What would you like to eat? What's your favorite thing? Do you, want to wear my, do you want to wear my slippers? Maybe not that much. That might, you know, they might leave. Or at least not come back. Uh, I wouldn't recommend that one. 
How do you treat those in your own home, the ones you see every day? Do you walk into the living room and say, oh, honey, I just came back from work, and I would love to just do something that you want me to do? Like, how does that happen? Like, that's interesting, isn't it? That the ones that are closest to you don't get that special treatment. But when you have a guest, well, that's called entertaining. That's called being hospitable. That is a problem I feel in my own heart. And I think you would have to agree. The Holy Spirit is so close to you. He has come to live inside of you. And sometimes I forget that we are to entertain him, to love him, to be sensitive toward him. Every one of his whims and desires is precious. With our eyes, with our hearts, with our thoughts. Yes, it's so easy and quick to grieve the Holy Spirit. In Scripture, he is a dove. He is soft. He is gentle. He can fly away in a moment. Your joy in the Lord, the presence of God in your life, it's nothing more than a few sins removed that you have to be cleansed. Of course, he doesn't leave you, but I'm talking about the joy of knowing him and walking with him, of entertaining him, of having your mind pressed upon by him. That is, there are emotions of the Holy Spirit upon our souls that we should not ignore. If you ever feel God is leading you in some direction, that is, in accord with his wisdom and word, do not put that away. Do not disregard that. He is a precious comforter. He is an advocate. He is a counselor coming to you to speak to you good things. And so how could we say, really, do I entertain the Holy Spirit? Well, here Jesus has given it to us. He's here to do three things. See, Concerning sin, he either will convince us as Christians of our sin or at least convict the world of their rebellion against acknowledging their sin. Jesus says he will come to convince the world or convict the world because of sin because they do not believe in me. That is, any rejection of Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit is there. The Holy Spirit is there to counter that rejection. To say, if you reject Jesus Christ, then you reject your own sin. Right? Because you're saying Jesus is not necessary. I had a particular conversation this week with a friend who loved conservatism. He liked things that were Christian-like. He liked um, family values. He liked uh, conservative politics. He liked all the stuff that's Christian-like. But then challenging him to say, yes, but there is no such thing as Christless conservatism. That is, you don't need conservatism. You need to be convicted of your sin. You need to be convicted of Jesus Christ was on the cross for a reason and not just to create a Keynesian economic system for our country. He went onto the cross so that you might not die in your sin. There's a conviction the Holy Spirit presses upon the mind. Jesus' job was this. Whoever believes, he says in John 3, in him is not condemned Whoever does not believe is already condemned. Entertaining the motion of the Spirit. How do you know the motion of the Spirit? God is moving His Spirit upon you in some way. Oh, you can rest assured. If you ever feel a conviction of sin, if you ever feel like you have false stepped, if you ever feel as though you have done something to grieve the Holy Spirit, rest assured, that probably is the Holy Spirit. For He is here for that very reason. 
entertain this motion. Don't reject this motion. If he is convicting you, it's because he's concerned for you. It's because he wants communion with you. It's because he loves you. This hostility is out of love. Right? Entertain the Holy Spirit. Entertain deep thoughts of conviction upon your soul. Because it is for Jesus' sake. That is, there is no way the Spirit will counsel you that ends in your condemnation. All this counseling is meant for close fellowship that you might walk with Him daily and enjoy Him and see the world through His eyes and have whispers of felicity and love placed upon your soul. Why would you ever want to cut yourself off from that? This is what He's here to do. And then He says particularly, the Holy Spirit will come to convict us of righteousness. Because I go to the Father and you see me no more, That was Jesus' problem. That's what got him in trouble. Not that he came into the world just to convict the world of sin. And this is the one that gets people fired up. If you convict them of their righteousness, well, now you just, you touch a nerve. See, Jesus came in John 7, 7. He said, the world hates me. The world hates me because I testify that its works are evil. That is, A conviction of self-righteousness. It's one thing when you come to another and say, yes, this one thing in your life is particularly sinful. But what if it's what they love? What if it's their pride? What if it's the righteousness of their life? What if it's their paycheck? What if it's their job? What if it's their family? What if it's something that's kind of good and they love it? And the gospel comes and says, no, no, no. He died on that cross because there is nothing in your life There is nothing you have. The Holy Spirit convicts to say all of your righteousness, filthy rags. And the world has much righteousness. It is a world system of its own moral opinions. And if you counter those moral opinions, you find yourself very much in the hostility of the world. Concerning righteousness, this is the work of the Holy Spirit. See, you can quote this verse, then you are of the Holy Spirit. In Galatians 6, 14, Paul says... Far be it for me to boast except in the cross of Jesus Christ by which the world has been made dead to me and I am dead to the world. I boast in nothing. I have no righteousness of my own. The Holy Spirit has perfectly convinced me that I have nothing and I boast in Christ and Christ alone. And by that cross, I have died to the world and all of its accoutrements and all of its comforts and all of its righteousness. Only the Spirit of God can bring you to that. Lastly, he speaks of the Holy Spirit's job to convict us of judgment. That is, all false evaluations concerning judgment, the Holy Spirit will convict us because the ruler of this world has been judged. There is a church that is called the pillar and buttress of truth. There is a world that is opposed to the Lord Jesus Christ and it is run by Satan in John 8 who Jesus says is the father of lies. And all the false evaluations and false judgments of this world must bump up against the reality of Jesus Christ. He is the Logos. He is the first stone by which all other straight lines are measured. He is the one who made all things, creates all things, and sustains all things. There is no truth that cannot reference to him. If truth cannot be connected to Jesus, it is not truth. It is false truth. It is worldly wisdom. It is a lie. It is under the control and dominion of Satan, who is the father of lies, who has put the whole world in the scheme of lies. And so the Holy Spirit comes to snap us. 
out of this world system to convince us of our own judgments being false, to make our judgments right. This is the gospel. The hostility we have with this world is only understood in the heart of Jesus Christ. That is, on that cross, he was crucified. And on that cross, Jesus convicted us of all of our sin, that it had to be a whole life offered. He convicted us of all of our righteousness, that it had to be a perfect life offered. And he convicted us of all judgment, that on that cross, you are truly judged, truly judged to be righteous in Christ, a real righteousness, not to be judged by outward appearances, but that you are righteous in Christ. On the cross, he has done all these things. And by the Spirit, he is doing them just as much with the same vigor, with the same power, with the same presence, but even more through his church across the world. This power cannot be stopped. For it is the Lord Jesus Christ by which the world has been made dead to us and us to the world. Dear Father God, I ask that you would use this for us as a church. Lord, that we would have that same vigor, that same power as we saw in our Lord Jesus Christ and as you've given us by the power of your Spirit, that we would be convinced of our sin, convinced of our righteousness in Christ, convinced of your judgment, not our judgment for us, but your judgment of us, that if we are laying hold of Christ, we are yours, we are righteous, we are peaceful. Father, we ask that this same judgment, this same power that you have given to your Spirit would be given to us as a church to witness to the world to witness to the community. Lord, I pray that you would open up our minds, open up our mouths to be able to speak and therefore, by your Spirit, open up the hearts of men and women that they might be convinced that God is truly among us, fall on their faces and worship you in all your glory. Lord Jesus, we commit this to your power and your capable hands as you sit on that throne and govern and rule all things to your end. We long for that day, Lord, to see you come. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.